Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Okay. Hey, guys. Thank you so much, SJ and Austin. That was absolutely amazing. Just like water to my soul. Thank you so much, guys. Um, and it is beautiful to have some of your fan club here. Mum and Dad, Sam. Yeah. I see why you follow her around because it's such a blessing. Um, so great to be together. Yeah, my name is Tom, uh, for those of you who don't know me. Um, and uh, I'm not Australian, I'm English. <laughs> Although if I go up at the end, I become an Australian, because then everything's a question. That's how Australians talk. Anyway, um, we love the Australians. We are um, in these rather strange days where we are attempting to sort of come back together as a church community. These few sessions we've been having here at the Northgate building have been a little bit different to our regular way of, um, of speaking, communicating, is we open the Bible, we go through a book, and we let it speak to us. But in these very unusual days where we are looking to plant this baby church, we felt like this was a unique time in these early days where, of course, we still want to speak from the Bible, but we also want to be uh, deliberately setting a culture that will, God willing, stand us in very good stead over the coming years to come. And two sessions ago, we, on our first Northgate session, we looked at this question of what does it look like to transition from being in survival mode into intentional mode. And then two weeks ago, we then looked secondarily, intentionally, at this question of, well, what is success? Josie, would you mind just... That door sounds like a little child's dying. Sorry. Um, They're not dying. Not dying. Um, I'm sure having a lot of fun. Um, and we looked at the question then of, of, well, what is success? What does Jesus say success is? And getting the right metric is so vital that we're measuring the right thing. And we made the point that I think biblically you could say that the making of disciples is right up there in terms of Jesus's high commands. And what do we mean by making disciples? Well, it means that we are seeing people following Jesus, the resurrected rabbi, following him in ever-increasing healthy relationship with him in the up, and then having ever-increasing healthy relationship with his family in the in, and then also having ever-increasing relationship with the world around us that might have very different views. So we talk about the up, the in, and the out. Three dimensions of relationship. What does it mean for you to be a disciple and to make disciples, this is the big idea. It is all about relationship. Say relationship. relationship. You can do better than that. I know you've got masks on. It's the afternoon, but let's do it. One, two, three. Relationship. relationship. Making disciples can sound slightly mechanical, can't it? Like I'm making a brick wall. But making disciples is a very relational idea. And today I want to kind of do a bit of a deep dive on that idea of relationship. And this is what I want to convince you of in the next 30 minutes. 
the primary lens with which to view reality is relationship. The primary lens with which to view reality is relationship, i.e. relationships matter most. So you can have all the money in the world, all the fame in the world, all the status in the world, but if your relational life is not healthy with your creator and the world around you, you will be slowly dying. You know, Jesus says, what does it profit the world, the man to gain the whole world? But if they lose their soul, it's like a living death. The second part of that then, if this is true that relationships matter most, all of life, in a sense, becomes about your personal presence. Your personal presence. We're going to look at that. So there's three questions I want to look at here today. I hope you're impressed with my PowerPoint. I'm not exactly Mr. PowerPoint, shall we say, but I was grappling yesterday afternoon amongst many things with something called Keynote, which is a, a rather snazzy thing. Can we have the next slide, Tim? Uh, what do I mean about this personal presence thing? Why is this important and how can we take some steps with this? So first of all, grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 6. First question, what do I mean by if all of life is about relationship more than anything, then your personal presence is paramount. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, just shout out one by one, what are some other lenses through which you can view life apart from relationships? It's not a trick question. Don't overthink it. Just shout out one or two answers. Money. Money. Thank you, Alan. Fame. Fame political. Fantastic. Pleasure. Pleasure. Culture. And these are not bad things, okay? I don't want you to hear that. But what I'm trying to argue today is that the Bible, I think, says the most important lens above everything is relationship. So, for example, here we see in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, we're going to see Jesus models relationship with his father, prayer, and then relationship with calling his 12, and then relationship with those who surround them. His presence is paramount in all of these. Verse 12, one of those days Jesus went on out to a mountainside to pray. He spent the night praying to God. Okay, do you see that? relationship with his father with Abba is his highest priority his presence his personal presence hour upon hour is in the presence of Abba on the mountain then we see verse 13 when morning came he called his disciples to him that's the big group and then he chose 12 of them do you see that so this is if we're using the up in an out language the first relational direction there was up with his father and then out of that he calls almost the beginning of the church these 12 disciples to be super close to him he's in effect saying to them i'm going to give you extra access to my personal presence and then we see in verse 17 he went down with them stood on a level place and a large crowd of his disciples was there a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured. Can I have a hurrah? Hurrah! 
Thank you. And all the people tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. This is remarkable. So Jesus has a beautiful example in the up with his father and then the in with this sort of baby church and then they it flows out and there's this power coming from Jesus. So I think from this text alone, you can see, okay, what was Jesus' highest priority? It was relationship, his personal presence with the Father. Okay, it's beautiful. And then you say, yes, but Tom, that's Jesus. I'm Christy Metzler. I'm Josie Shaw. I, I can't do all that. Yeah, that's like a bit special. And of course, he was the Son of God. Let's be honest. He, he is a different person to all of us. But what he says in John chapter 14, he says, you shall do even greater things than me oh my word and then if you look turn over the page in the bibles in luke chapter 6 verse uh, 40 he then says second half of the verse everyone who's fully trained will be like his teacher who's the teacher what's his name jesus who's the student so he's not letting us off the hook the, the humble oh i'm nothing like jesus thing of course, at one level, we're not. But ultimately, he's saying, my highest priority is relationship with Abba and with people. That's true wealth. When I get to the end of my life, the measure of my success is my relational wealth. That's what Jesus is saying and modeling. And then he's saying, no student, every student, will be like his master so you are called to have a life if you follow jesus here a bit like jesus in terms of following him into the up with his father and the out and the in the in the in the out so relationships matter most your personal presence therefore is huge what do i mean by personal present present uh, presence little definition here your ability to be physically, emotionally, and soulfully present in an encouraging way to another person. When I talk about your personal presence, and my personal presence, it is your ability to be physically, emotionally, and soulfully present in an encouraging way to another. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 2, Paul says to the church in Corinth, you are my letter, known and read by all. Wow. So what Paul's saying is, my hope of Corinth being transformed is not in a cool name for your church, or in a cool building, or in a brilliant service, although those things are fine, he is putting all of his eggs in the basket of your personal relational presence, one human at a time. He's saying, you are my letter. You are my letter. When you interact with people, it's, it's either drawing them closer to Jesus or not. I love this. It's like this amazing, like, wow. He, he sees me as, as the hope that he is that he's putting his, his weight in. So let me put it this way. It is more about your vibe as a person than your voice. It is more about your feel 
more than the facts. It is more about what you leak more than what you speak. See, I've worked on crafting this for you people because I love you. It's more, you know, more than your gifts or your words or your actions. Listen, write this down. It is the atmosphere that you create. 1 Corinthians 13 says, you can have faith that moves a mountain. You can prophesy in power. You can give everything you've got to the poor. But if you do not have love, you are nothing. That's what it says. It doesn't say you're defective. It's saying you're, you are nothing. It's really shocking language. Actually, you are nothing. That he's saying. And then we go, well, love's, you know, I'm pretty loving. He's really specific. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. It is not false to the truth. It does not rejoice in wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. It always believes. It always hopes. So he's saying the feel, O Corinth church, the feel, O sanctuary, around you is everything. I love um, what uh, Oswald Chambers famously said. It is not what a man or woman does that is of final importance but what he is in what he does the atmosphere produced by a man or woman much more than his activities has the lasting influence okay so why is this important tom i'm fairly clear in what you're saying well i think at one level it should be fairly obvious why this is important <laughs> because if this is even like half true the atmosphere that we create in our lives around us is really crucial i love what the writer maya um, angelo said she says at the end the end of things i think i think we've got the quote up here actually so it's definitely at the end of the day people won't remember what you said or did they will remember how you made them feel. This is so true. Now, I'm, I, you can overstate that. Of course, it's important what you say and you do. I'm not saying that. But what I'm trying to get at here, at the, as we plant this church right at the beginning, you know, we could have very busy people serving. But if we are leaking anger or frustration or annoyance or insecurity, man, we feel it, right? I had to apologize to a leader a week ago because I sent him this text about something and I was angry and it was subtle and what I actually said, I still stood by, but the heat that came from my message, the feel of it, I felt so convicted and I was like, brother, I'm so sorry. I stand by what I said, but it came from, it came from hurt in me, not from love. And will you forgive me? And he was like, of course. It's the, it's the feel of it more than just um, the content. What I'm trying to say is your sheer presence has a, has a huge power. Huge power. And this is both a wow moment and also a gulp moment. It's that kind of mix, isn't it? It's both this amazing penny drop of like, whoa, this is such a high privilege but also uh, a sort of seriousness to it. 
So if you think about it like this, in terms of a wow, the privilege of, of your presence, think about how you have changed in your life previously. I bet you it's through the presence of somebody who loved you, who knew you, who is just a steady, stable, positive, godly influence in your life. Nine times out of ten, we change through relationship. It's been said that in life, we are hurt through relationship. But we are healed through relationship. I think that's so true. We can't, we can't get healed in isolation. I know we want to when we get hurt by people. We, the last thing we want to do is be around people. But actually... The way that we have all changed, I mean, Hannah doesn't mind me mentioning this, Hannah Walker, many of you will know, when she was in her teenage years, she came into a contact with a Christian family called the Novembers. And she says, she remembers as a teenage girl, there was something about their family. It was the atmosphere. They loved Jesus. And she says she would regularly, even as a teenager, when, when they're, you know, in England, um, you can go out to bars and stuff a little younger than here. And when she was in her late teens, she, you know, she could have easily been going out nightclubbing and going to the bars. But she found herself getting on a bus and driving for, or sitting on the bus for an hour on a Friday night just to be in the family, of the, in the atmosphere of this godly family. There's something about being around them that was changing her, which probably even as a young woman, she didn't have the exact words but there was something about being in the atmosphere of this Christ-shaped family that it wasn't the words, it wasn't even the action so much, it, it was the feel. It was the feel of being around them. Does that make sense? The feel. And um, the reason why this is true is because our souls are permeable. They, our souls, are not closed units, right? The way that we as Christians can, or as just as humans, but the way as, as Christ followers that we can let the kingdom of God come to us is because our souls are kind of like sponges. They're not like metal boxes that are sealed. We absorb, when we say, our oh, Father and our in heaven, let your kingdom come, we're praying for something to happen, right? We're saying that, that the atmosphere that, of the king would come afresh into our souls. And so we are also permeable to people and the world around us, which is why so much of the Bible talks about taking care of who you're with and, 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 and the company that you keep. And neurologically, you can see this, like we have things called mirror neurons in our brains. You've probably heard about this, but when, when you meet people, you're hardwired neurologically to respond often to how they are. And you're picking up a thousand cues, more than just what they're saying, all the time at an unconscious level when you meet another human. That's why even in San Francisco, <laughs> if you smile at someone walking down the street, nine times out of ten, they'll smile back. Even if they look very grumpy seconds before you smile. Because there's something, they're almost absorbing your presence. And in the same way, if, someone, if you're with someone and they're not in that exact place, you can feel the negative effect. You, you, they may not even be saying something that is negative, but we as humans can feel 
We can feel that. Our, our souls are permeable. I remember when I was 15 playing squash, which is like racquetball, the English version. And um, I remember I had two different teachers. One teacher, well, he'd, he'd played at Wimbledon. He was amazing, but he was so intense and he had a lot of unprocessed anger. And he was always like pushing me, pushing me, pushing me. And it just made me feel really on edge. And I wasn't even, you know, and I, it made me worse. And then there was Mr. Sharp, the art teacher, who just happened to be great at squash and just helped out. And he came in, and I don't know if he knew Jesus, but he was kind of like that. And he was like, hey, Tom. He was interested in me. He loved me. He was relaxed and he would play. And he, oh, great shot, Tom. And I just bloomed in his presence. I was three times better player than when I was with the other guy who was the official squash teacher because he was leaking this unprocessed kind of anger. But what happened to Mr. Sharp? Do you know, I even, God's been doing a deep work on me and I was like, last week, I was like, I wonder what ever happened to Mr. Sharp? And this is like 35 years ago or whatever. And I was trying to go on LinkedIn and try and track him down just to say, I can't remember a word you said, Mr. Sharp, but you communicate to me this thing of like, something of God being kind and strong. Like you somehow modeled that to me and I've never forgotten it. Just being around you was so changing. Listen, write this down. The greatest gift, the greatest gift, this is massive, you can give to anyone, is your transformed and transforming presence. From the Relational Soul book, amazing book. The greatest gift you can give anyone is your transformed and transforming self. When you are with someone in a soulful way and you're able to be present and they are absorbing something of the presence of Christ through your presence, it literally is the greatest gift because it's, it's communicating to them and helping them understand something of, of the reality of God. And what this means is um, the pressure in many ways if you know Jesus is off from getting all your words perfect and performing right because the more that you realize wait a minute you know as I grow in maturity my sheer presence is already bringing something of an atmosphere change when I meet another person the presence of a non-anxious Christ follower is incredibly powerful and people won't even know that's what's happening. I was at a, an event this week. I was speaking at the Adult Teen Challenge uh, gathering just around the corner. Dear, dear group of men who have, been, who have had really, you know, um, difficult lives and Jesus has come to them. And I was standing there and I, this sounds really weird, but you get what I'm saying. I was like, do you know what? Before I even say a word, my sheer presence is a blessing. I don't mean that arrogantly. I'm just saying because Christ is in me. And actually, there is a, a stabilizing, um, you know, it says in us, the spirit cries, Abba, Father. There's something of the, of the presence of the Father in his children. I was with another brother this week for lunch. And it was just like, as this penny was dropping, I was just thinking, wow, I don't have to say all the right things. A lot of it is just about asking loving questions, being comfortable with silence. Some of us are more sensitive to knowing what the other person is feeling 
than others. And that's a blessing and a curse. I'm extremely sensitive to what another person is feeling. I, almost, I sometimes get their emotions confused with mine. So I can literally, I'll be talking to you and I will suddenly feel anxious or angry or something. And I'll be like, why? Oh, oh no, it's them. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's a really interesting psychological and, and uh, it's like a blessing and a challenge. But the idea that we can bring our, the presence of Christ to people is amazing. And it just, it makes, it suddenly, you see, this is why being salt and light in San Francisco in the Bay is so crucial. Us, you know, we, as Christians, we cannot make anyone follow Jesus. You know that, right? It's impossible. It's all the work of Jesus. But what we can do is present our transformed and transforming self one person at a time, loving well one person at a time, which means we are present physically and soulfully and thinking, Jesus, what do you have for this person? It, rather than being anxious, hurrying them, kind of half listening, not present. My kids! No! The difference in a heartbeat. They look at me, you're not listening, Dad. Oh, I know I am. Oh, no, you busted me. They can, they can feel it, right, parents? Is it just me? <laughs> just, they can feel it. You're physically there, but you're not there. Even this weekend with Josie away, I've had a lot on my mind. Lots of different things going on. And I'm like, man, Jesus, help me. Help me to really... Because this is like the greatest gift I can give my kids is this is this uh, presence. I was outside of our house recently and there was a car crash right near our house. These two young men, had <laughs> we live on a steep hill, they tried to jumpstart their car down uh, Ordway Street, lost control and totaled four cars and their car. And these were Beamers, Tesla. And I heard it and I, it was funny, we were trying to run a kids movie night. It was the night we had the kids movie night in our garden, 30 kids watching Pinocchio or something. And there's like, all oh, goodness breaks loose around the corner. I run round, it's like the apocalypse. Cars on its side, four cars smashed, and these two men standing there like this. And listen, I was the first person on the scene, and I knew they were thinking of running. They were like 21, 22. And I just felt myself calmly go, hey lads, oh dear. Whoops, what happened here? And they, and they were like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. And they were just like freaking out, swearing. I said, guys, look at me going to be okay we're going to call the police they're going to come and i know a lot of these neighbors i know some of them vaguely and they are good people they're going to understand we're going to be all right and i, I could feel it change yeah i could feel it change i was out for a walk recently at funston and people were having their masks off oh <gasps> as people were being vaccinated. And this old lady came up to me. She was like, I'm, I'm following what Dr. Fauci said. I'm allowed to have my mask off. And I could tell she was like, am I okay? And I just thought, I felt that God say, just stay, just talk. And we talked for 15 minutes. Now, it didn't suddenly get around to Jesus or anything, but I was thinking, oh, my presence, my non-anxious, loving presence with her is bringing something of the presence of God there. We were in the park, Golden Cape Park, a few weeks ago. And a guy came up to us, so he came up to me and he said, I've been watching you. I've, I've lived, I'm a homeless guy and I've lived in Golden Gate Park for 30 years. And I've been watching, are you a church? I said, yeah, you're so welcome. And he was like, okay. I said, we're called Sanctuary because we, we feel like many people in this area have been hurt, particularly through Christians. And we want to just 
build trust and say that we're for you, you know? And uh, his name was Cain and he shared our food and got to know some of our kids and he could feel something, I think. There was a safety he was feeling. So it's, it's a tremendous privilege, but also it's a gulp, right? Do you feel that? It's like, wow, this is such a privilege, but also like a responsibility. Because, you know, even as parents, you may know that a lot of our little, when our kids grow up, a lot of their shaping in terms of their kind of processing happens when they're very small, way before cognition, way before explicit memory comes online. Implicit memory, which is them absorbing the emotions of the house, the vibe of mum and dad, that's what shapes their attachment styles, it's what shapes many ways who they become, which is terrifying as a parent of three girls. But it's really true. They've shown so many studies. And when I think about some of the things I'm processing now at age 43, it only really makes sense when I go right back to the early days. So there is a, there's a gulp d deal to it. Write this question down if you're making notes. I'm not saying you ever do this to someone, but a healthy question you can imagine asking someone is this. How are you experiencing me right now? I heard someone say that question. It's a good question to think about. I'm not saying you, if you were to ask someone that, only do it with someone you really trust. But, what, but it's a helpful question when in a busy city, we're just, we're measuring, you know, amount of stuff done, scale, bigness, helps us to think, oh yeah, what would someone say? And as I said, we could be a church that gets really busy serving, but if we are leaking, if, we're, if the atmosphere around us isn't ultimately what Jesus would want, we're going to be uh, having to unpack things. Whereas if we lay this as a foundation right at the beginning, that we're going to go at the pace of, of love, we're going to go at the pace of love rather than the pace of just unbridled faith, then what it means is there's a quality control that we are aware of as well. And I would say that most of the non-Christians I know um, globally who have, who have turned their back on the faith the number one reason is meeting Christians who have hurt them, by far. It's through Christians who have been really clumsy and judgmental. And that, I'm not saying it's the only reason, but it's a huge reason, i.e. I'm actually quite interested in Jesus, but the church, wow, have I been hurt. And I think it's because of ignoring what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, we think if we have a big building or something that's gonna make it, People, everyone is looking. I remember just talking to a, um, a friend, and she was just, she's not a Christian, she was just saying, just, I don't know why Christians just aren't nicer. It's just, you don't, have to make, you don't have to make Christianity funky. It's always going to be weird. You believe in a resurrected rabbi. It's a strange thing. It's a weird thing. <laughs> kind of get used to the weirdness. I just wish Christians were a bit nicer. I was like, man, I, I just feel like that's really true. And, one of my good friends, Alan here, who he wouldn't mind me saying, is still on his journey and he, he wouldn't say he's a Christ follower. But he has said, even to a camera, uh, that <laughs> despite us having strange beliefs, he said this is the perfect place to be for someone like him. 
because I think he feels safe to have his own views, to have different views, but he's a friend, he's part of this. And we love you, Alan, and we're so grateful that you're part of this community. That's for me is like a pretty big deal, to be honest with you. You know, I want us to take care. I mean, honestly, Carrie, who is heading off, sadly, but she would testify again publicly that even being here for a few months, just being around a relatively healthy bunch of, of Christ followers. By osmosis, something shifts. My dad always said to me, Tom, Christianity is better caught than taught. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. He, of course we get good doctrine, but it's so much more than that. It's about you actually absorbing the presence of Christ through his body. He is the head, but he says, you are my body. So it's amazing how we got to take care of our bodies, right? And that's not just, you know, pumping weights. It's, you know, I don't care what you wear on a Sunday physically, but what I do care about is how you come. You know, in Colossians it says, put on compassion. Put on the clothes of, of kindness and grace. It's like, don't worry too much about what you wear, but, but you come saying, how do I bring my, 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 my most, my healthiest self right now to this moment? And honestly, it's, it's, it's why your sheer presence, not just healthy presence, but your sheer presence is so huge. And although online stuff is helpful, like your actual physical presence, there's just no substitute for it. Um, and it's funny, I tried to explain this to my girls over, you know, about meals. I'm like, no, no, you actually have to be, you know, your physical presence is crucial as we eat this meal. And I don't mean just turning up three seconds before and then zooming up. I'm saying being together and we eat, but we're present. And we were talking last night uh, with small group leaders about how we actually work this out as a church because there's a huge desire to go away a lot uh, for people who live in San Francisco, which I get. But it is interesting how you then build a family without guilt, which is based around people's presence, when at least every Sunday, at least 50% of the, of the community is gone. And I don't really have a solution for that, but, it, but I would be disingenuous if I wasn't like somewhat transparent that I don't, know how to, I don't know how we work through that. We were trying to get creative with what days we... Do we have to move everything to a Wednesday night, you know? Because then half the church isn't gone. Uh, but then there's other challenges of that. And so it's, it's a real challenge. Um, and it's something that I think... It's a really big deal. Because I remember as an atheist coming into a church service age 20 and I could feel... I could feel something in that room full of very normal people in Canterbury in England, I felt something. There was a love, there was a warmth. There was something, there was like something, the sum total of that happy, healthy congregation together meant that when I walked in as an atheist, I, I started to believe in my soul that maybe somehow this spirit, this God was real through that body. But how we actually do that when, when more than ever we're in a season and at a time when there's so much transience is really, really, is a real conundrum, which um, I haven't really solved. Uh, but 
is something we, we are trying to think through. Trying to think through. So finally then, how can we take some steps in terms of actually cultivating a presence that is as Christ-like and life-bringing as possible? Well, think of it a little bit like this. If, the, if this last point was almost what you're breathing out, think of it in like breathing. You're breathing out an atmosphere. A key is what you breathe in. How do you, how do you, how do you become someone whose personal presence, one person at a time, is as Christ-like as it can be? I think the key idea is what you're breathing in. And I would say just two takeaways and then I'll finish. Number one, the practice of silence and solitude. And number two, the practice of seeking out secure, like stable Christ followers to be around. So remember what I said, we're hurt through relationships, but we're healed through relationships. Yay. That's a big deal in a country like ours, which has got so much individualism. We can easily think that if I've got the internet and a little bit of a connection, I can kind of sort myself out. But we all need, we all need relationship to change us. So silence and solitude is so huge because if you think about it, when you get away, even for half an hour, half an hour in the morning or whenever it might be, or a longer time, a really helpful way to think about it, rather than like, what do I need to do? The ancient sort of strand of Christianity that is contemplative spirituality, which I absolutely love, it frames it more in terms of being with Christ, rather than even like praying to him. So if you think about Jesus, anyone here been watching that program called The Chosen on TV? Put your hand up. Okay, if you've, if it's basically a high quality media like version of what, Jesus, what it would be like to be around the person of Jesus. And the actor who plays Jesus, I really hope, I mean, he's the best one I've ever seen. He really makes, helps me think, oh wow, if Jesus is like him, I would so want to be a disciple. <laughs> like, he's just so wonderful. He's kind, he's wise, he's strong. He's, you know. And I think, as silly as it sounds, it's like, oh wow, if I think of regular time, silence and solitude, what I'm doing is, I'm like detoxing all of the unhelpful presence of others that honestly I've picked up, because I remember our souls are permeable. But I'm absorbing in the new, as it were, fresh presence of Jesus. It's like I found myself, imagine just literally sitting with Jesus by a lake. He doesn't have to say anything. But if Jesus is patient and kind and loving, imagine what it's like just sitting with him. I love Revelation. It says, Jesus, I stand at the door and knock. So we open the door. When we have silence and solitude, we're opening the door for him to come in. And then when Jesus says, had you pray, he then says, then you shut the door. Pray to your father and you shut the door. I love that. He's like, let me in. And then shut the door. What does that mean? He's saying, you have to find ways where the distractions of your inner being that's running 100 miles an hour are ruthlessly like dealt with. Does anyone here find when you have even a moment of silence, your head is just running? Anyone here, please tell me it's just not just me. What, it's just the adrenaline, the inner critic, the shame voice, 
the I should be doing, it's just relentless. Finding a way for your body to slow down regularly. And I use that word, it's physical, it's not just spiritual, physically. I don't wear a watch anymore because I found I was so time conscious. My watch broke a few weeks ago and I noticed what, before I got it, I was like, oh, I feel slightly more calm. I'm a bit more disorganized, but I feel calmer. <laughs> and then I, I turn my phone off every night at 7 p.m. and I don't turn it on until 8 in the morning. So it's just a practical thing. It's not a law, it's just but for me. It's just transforming. Again, it's like, if, and I can feel like the door is being closed. You know, Jesus is God. He's going to look after everyone. People know where I live. Yes, I'm a pastor, but I'm not Jesus. I'm just a man. So I can turn my phone off. And every Sabbath, my phone goes off for 24 hours. So it's just a small thing, but I'm like, how do I close the door? And what I'm doing now, and this is, you can rejoice, for the first time in my life, I am finding, I am accessing the presence of Jesus all day. And I've never had that in 43 years. It's not perfect, of course, but I, you know what I'm saying? There's a difference. Well, you know those times where you have a time in the morning and at the end of the day, you're like, oh man, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I can, you almost feel guilty. For the first time in my life, something's shifting where like during the day, as I do the washing up or I do the dishwasher, or I don't know, I get in the car, I'm finding for the first time my heart is just whisper, you know, coming back to him, Jesus, Jesus. It's starting to really change. And it's like I'm carrying that silence and solitude atmosphere, less, less needing to control, less fear, more surrender. It's like it's starting to permeate, Tom Shaw. I don't know, it's just, it's, it's, it's really, really exciting. So it's drinking in. And then the other way, the other major way that we, we, uh, we breathe in, what we then give out, is through choosing deliberately to regularly be around, like spiritually stable, secure, healthy men and women. Like, you need their presence in your life to change you. Like, it's, you can't do it on your own. It's totally crucial. A very famous um, Christian counselor called Adam Young, he says, people are paying me to be around my regulated nervous system. <laughs> some of you are like, what? Some of you are loving that, and some of you are like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. I'm trying to make sure we all get on board with this. He's saying in neurological, physical terms, because we're not just spirits, right? We believe in our bodies. He's saying, the more that you grow in Christ, your whole being changes bit by bit. And, and you know, and he's saying, people are paying money, yes, for my words, but to be around me. And it's true. I have a wonderful spiritual director called Jim. He's pushing 70 from Chattanooga. And I, made, I, I just realized I don't even really care what Jim says. I mean, I do. I just need to be with him. It's true. He's this older guy. He's so kind. And he is super wise and he's really comfortable with silence which i'm not naturally and he just sits there on zoom and i record it and i watch a bit of jim most days because i for lots of different reasons i i don't naturally have that non-anxious i don't think any of us do but Jim can, see, if I, if I know that, you know, God is patient, okay, patience is an idea, it's vague. I can't really understand what that feels like. 
But if I see patients in gym, then it comes alive. Oh, Jim is patient. He doesn't get angry with me. And he's like Jesus. So I have Jim as my screensaver, which my wife finds hilarious. <laughs> but when I look at Jim, something is, I'm like osmosis again. There's something happening that calms my soul. It's the body of Christ. It's amazing, isn't it? It's like his family. Like I often say, who in this church, what aspects of them do they have that particular that, that, that represents something about Jesus physically that you need to learn about. Okay? So, for example, uh, George Gonzalez. He's not here, so I can big him up. I was with George a few weeks ago and his younger brother in the park. And his younger brother was very open, said he had had a life of addiction. Six years ago, came to Christ. He's been, you know, on the straight and narrow for six years. He said, but it's George, his presence that's changed my life. And I just wanted to weep. Do you know George? George isn't like some big personality. He's humble. He's quiet. But I'm like, yes. And I said to this guy, I said, do you know what? I need to be around George. I notice when I'm around George, without me even realising it, my pace slows. I don't need to perform. I remember. Matthias is like this as well, isn't he? Sorry to embarrass you, Matthias. And Kathy, both of you. But there's something about you guys. It's true. And, and there's things you need in us. But I'm just saying, like, with you guys, patience and kindness. I was talking to this with my kids over breakfast. I said, you know, the way you see Jesus is in through others. It's not just through your head. And I was like, who do you think in sanctuary, like, has real patience and kindness? And they both said, Kathy and Matthias. And it's true. It's like, so, so you find reasons. Discipleship. You seek out people. And you say, I, want, I need you in my life. I meet with all of our sanctuary group leaders every two weeks, or at least one of the couples. And what I'm trying to model is bringing my best self to them, my relatively regulated nervous system, my trying to bring it to them and to love on them so that they then can lead their groups. And as they meet with you one-on-one, -on -one, they are then bringing something into the wider body and then it goes on and on. So I think you knowing what it is to be around and seeking out people is really, really crucial. I will finish with that famous poem that we probably all heard. When I was a young man. When I was a young man, I wanted to change the world. I found it was difficult to change the world. <laughs> so I tried to change the, my nation. When I found I couldn't change the nation, I began to focus on my town. When I found I couldn't change my town, as an older man, I thought I'd try changing my family. Now, as an old man, I realise the only thing that I can change, through Jesus' help, is myself. And suddenly I realised that if I long ago had allowed Jesus to change me, I could have made an impact on my family. And my family could have had an impact on my town, and the impact would have changed the nation and I could indeed have changed the world.